Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Thank you. I was going to introduce myself, but it looks like he took care of that for me. But um, I'm going to anyway. Uh, Good morning. I am Pastor Chris's wife. And I was thinking this morning, actually... In this room alone, I am a daughter, a mother, a previous youth pastor, a children's director, a realtor, and a high school math teacher. So I have all kinds of connections. Some people just call me Heather, but do we all have a lot of hats like that that we wear? A lot of um, different names and roles. And am I bugging you here, Mr. Wallstrom, in the back? I keep hearing a thunk. Is it me? Is it how I've got this guy set up, or am I okay? Okay, well, y'all yell at me if I'm not. Uh, It was interesting to me, the last song that we sang, because uh, the scripture I want to open us with comes out of the Bible, but fed that last song's uh, creativity. And it comes out of Ecclesiastes 3, a section that says, there is a time for everything. And verse 1 says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. So in honor of Mother's Day, I feel like this is a good time to kind of stop and reflect. So uh, I brought some pictures if my lovely assistant's in the back, and don't let Isaac dissuade you from showing any of these. Uh, Look at that. Look at those good old days. Do you remember that season in your life? I know. On my father? You didn't see the hair on him before, did you? But, um, yeah, long time ago. Would you go forward one for me? I just thought you might get a kick out of that. Anyone have this season in your life ever? The new home, building a home, tearing down a home, something home. That was our first St. Francis house. You want to go forward for me, Dalton? Did you have that season? I was flipping through pictures, and I had to sit on this one for a moment because look at, they look like they're getting along. (laughs) It was a beautiful moment. (laughs) Look at, he's actually listening to her. Telling you, I'm making it mad up here. Okay. Oh, and then do you remember those seasons? That was what I was going to say. That backpack is bigger than that child, right? Do you remember those moments where the tears are flooding and it's a new season? Okay, what else do you have for me, Dalton? There, look at that one with that belly ready to burst. What the heck was I thinking, right? Look at that. But aren't they cute? And then you got to see the next one because something happened. Now do you see that they're all like the same height as me pretty much? I don't know how that works, but it happened pretty quickly. And then, oh, yeah, we just had to end with that one just because. Look at they all get along. They're all in one room, and nobody's yelling. So you snap the picture quick, and you savor that memory because it will never happen again. So, okay, you can pull those off. I just wanted to share a little bit of that with you. But um, over the course of the last 20 years, my roles have changed. Uh, 
titles that I've been given have changed. What I do with my time has changed. And you've probably felt the same way. Like sometimes we wear a lot of hats. We have a lot of roles and a lot of different jobs. And one, one year you might be a coach, and the next year you might be in the stands watching. And one year you might be a student, and the next year you might be a teacher. And we kind of all go through these different um, roles. And, and what I want to tell you today is though you may change, God in heaven doesn't. Everything else in the world around us does, but he doesn't. There's a scripture out of Hebrews that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sometimes our world gets a little bit crazy, and I feel a little bit inadequate in pretty much all of my roles at the same time. I don't know if you have these days ever. Like some days I honestly kick butt. I have texted my husband and said, it was a good day, I kicked butt. Like, my lessons went well. I mean, maybe my students in the room will disagree. But my lessons, I think, go well. I get all my tests graded. The meetings are all fine. I get home. I crank out dinner from scratch. I set it on the counter just as the children come in. They eat and they're happy. Miracle of all miracles. And then we clean up and get back out the door to the sports like everything works beautifully. And then there are those other days I'm like ripping out my hair and I feel like nothing went well. I still have 20 calls to make to deal with bills and insurance companies and this and that and the other thing and doctor's appointments and I have like the kitchen is overflowing with dirty dishes and the children are all staring at these little electronic devices as the kitchen is filled with dirty dishes and all we have time for is to nuke chicken nuggets. We don't even have time to heat the oven to bake them to like nuke them and throw on some baby carrots and call that dinner and rush back out the door in our shifts, right? And in those days, I kind of want to slam my head against the wall. And I go, what the heck am I doing? Why on earth, Lord, would you give me five children? Why would you ask me to be in this role? What makes you think that I can do this? And then I sometimes quiet myself. Don't know why I don't do it sooner. And all of a sudden, I can hear the words he's been speaking over to me the whole time. You are chosen. I have a plan for you. You can do this. I am with you. You are blessed beyond any curse. I have called you. You are my child, and I adore you. And you know what? He doesn't just speak them over me. He's speaking them over you all the time. Sometimes we just have to pull ourselves back and quiet ourselves and hear that. Life seems to throw storms at us, right? We uh, lose jobs, have to move, lose people in our family. Life just does that. We had a miscarriage early in our marriage. Chris lost a job that we adored, had to move to a totally foreign community. Stuff like that happens. And in those moments, we tend to lose focus of where God really wants us. And we start staring at our circumstances. And as I was um, re-going over things this morning, the image that came to my mind, maybe you've seen it in a hundred movies, but there's like the person standing and all around them, I'm sure this is in every Avenger movie ever made, all around them are people like whizzing by, flipping around, all you can see is like the blur of the chaos, right? And then there's like the lone stud who like slowly walks through. The, you've seen this scene, right? But I, I was feeling like that's That's like our world sometimes. It all does this around us. And we can stand there and be like this. Or we can fix our eyes on Jesus and walk forward. And the chaos is still going to rage. But he's who we want to see. So um, today, I have a story for you. uh, Straight out of the scriptures. 
But first of all, I guess let's look at Psalm 23, 4. It says, even though I walk, you know this one, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think that's kind of funny. Because what is the rod? I mean, spare the the rod, spoil the child, right? That's like the ouch, naughty, slap on the hand kind of a thing. And what's the um, staff? That's like the shepherd guiding and protecting. But that David knows to treasure both, I think is a really beautiful thing. Uh, I want to bring you to the Old Testament, to the time of Joseph. Happens to be one of my favorite stories. And to give you a little more insight into my world, when I was in about sixth grade, uh, I got a call from a choir teacher in the district, Mrs. Dorman, and she was pulling together about 20, 25 of us kids to be a part of a choir to go on audition to do Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat on Broadway with Donny Osmond. I don't know if you've seen the show or not, but the way the play is set up, they like walk through the whole life of Joseph in song, but they have a large collection of like 40 to 50 kids who are being told the story and they are on stage the whole time singing and reacting and watching and observing what's happening. And our choir ended up being chosen to do the show. So we got to do 54 uh, Broadway presentations at uh, the State Theater, which was a ridiculously cool opportunity. And Donny Osmond apparently is pretty great stuff. Um, so that was kind of fun. But uh, so I got to watch this story play out over and over and over again. And even my poor children, as we've listened to the soundtracks in their childhood, probably have all the songs that accompany each part memorized, but uh, I want to let you in on a little bit of it. So to get us all caught up to speed, we're just going to like jump into the middle. Uh, Joseph was born to a man named Jacob, and Jacob has a whole cool story of his own, so if you have time, sneak into Genesis and read it, because it's very intriguing. But uh, Jacob made a mistake. He thought it was a good idea to have four wives. Just going to warn you, gentlemen, not a good idea. The reality TV shows with sister wives are not what it's cracked up to be. And these four wives, wouldn't you know, didn't really get along. We had some jealousy issues and some other stuff going on. And Jacob had a favorite. Also not a good idea, Jacob. But his favorite's name was Rachel. And she gave him two sons that are recorded in the Bible. The first was Joseph. And because she was his favorite, Joseph was his favorite son too. Now, he had kids by all these other wives, but they weren't as special. So he showered Joseph with gifts and did all kinds of things where everybody knew this kid was the favorite. How many favorite childs in the room? Yes. See? One of mine thinks he is. We'll see. Doesn't work that way. But so he gave him this coat, which is why we know the coat of many colors and blah, 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 to make him special. But Joseph really was special. He had the ability to uh, interpret dreams. He would have dreams himself, too, but he would understand what they meant, not in like a psychic kind of way, but like a prophetic God speaking to him, him having enough discernment to understand, and then communicate it. However, Joseph's discernment wasn't quite perfected, and so he tended to communicate some dreams that he probably shouldn't have to his siblings, like ones that said, you will all bow down to me someday. And who would have guessed, but that doesn't go over very well with big brothers and sisters, right? So um, it didn't even go over very well with dad. So they weren't his biggest fans. And so when we pick up the story, Jacob is sending 
Joseph out to the fields where the brothers are taking care of their animals because they were a very wealthy family, have so many animals that they need to graze in big, far expanses of land. So he sends Joseph to check on them. And we'll pick up the story in Genesis 37, verse 17. It says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, you might have sibling rivalries, but I'm hoping that none of your siblings want to kill you. I mean, maybe they threaten it, maybe they think it, but I don't think they're actually authentically plotting it like these were. So Joseph's kind of got it a little bit rough, and if we skip down to verse 26, it doesn't get much better. Judah, one of the other brothers, said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. First of all, does that remind you of somebody else who was betrayed by somebody in his inner circle for silver? Kind of hurts a little bit, right? So number one, they're going to kill him. And then they decide, oh, wait, better idea. Let's make money off of the deal. Why would we do such a horrible thing as kill our brother? We'll just sell him into slavery because that's a better plan, right? I mean, does this make sense? But who hurts us the most? The people that are closest to us, right? The people who we're vulnerable around, the people we trust, the very people who should be loving us and taking care of us and um, encouraging us, those tend to be the people that hurt us the most. And in this case, that's kind of what happened. Uh, so, this story isn't looking so good. And I don't know how you would feel if you were in Joseph's shoes. And maybe you have felt this way, probably weren't sold into slavery, but maybe you felt this way in some other way, shape, and form. If you think and you actually put yourself there, he's sold into uh, the, to the Ishmaelites or the Midianites who served a different god. So, you know, here in the America, we have the privilege of having freedom of religion, and you can worship Jesus, and that's fabulous. Imagine now having your life changed, so instead of being the son of a very wealthy man, you're a slave. You're a slave to people who worship some other god or gods that are not the authentic ones. You're taken to a land where you don't know anything, including the language potentially, by some crazy strangers, and your family just completely deserted you. And that's where Joseph is at. And at that moment, I've got to believe he's questioning, Lord, why did I have that dream that I was going to be this big guy that they were all going to bow down to? And how on earth is that going to happen as you're pulling me away from them and sending me someplace else? How many of us have ever felt like, Lord, I know you have a dream for me. I feel like I'm supposed to end up here. Why on earth are we way over here? And I think that's about the moment where Joseph was. So uh, in, in chapter 39, we'll pick up the story again. It says that um, he was, now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. 
When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both the house and the field. Uh, you'll notice I added some underlines on there because I wanted you to catch it in case you didn't already. The Lord was with him. Even in the midst of a land where they worshipped other gods, even in the midst of the difficulty, the Lord was with him. Not only was he with him, it says it twice. Whenever it says something twice, it's saying like, red alert, pay attention. And the Lord blessed him and everything else that he touched. He blessed Potiphar just because of Joseph's goodness. So now at this point, I don't know, maybe you've had these moments too. You start feeling like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this is why I'm here. Maybe I kind of had the wrong idea, and maybe what I thought was this straying off of the path was really this God-ordained, here is the answer, somehow everything is going to be great from now on. Ever had that moment? I feel like I have those, like, weekly. But um, so that's where Joseph is at. And, and then, and then something changed. But before we get to the change, I think something happens to uh, Christians. I think we don't realize how much of Jesus we're carrying in us and how it affects those around us. I think sometimes we think, I'm not doing anything, I'm not... I am not Pastor Chris. He will talk till he's red, blue, whatever, purple, any color in the face about how he can just go and talk to anybody about Jesus. Uh, that is not me. I can't just, like, start a conversation, hey, yeah, it's sunny today, and let me tell you about Jesus. It just doesn't, like, flow. It doesn't work for me. That's not my thing. But Jesus still shines through us somehow, Right? I mean, like, I'm learning in my work environment, which is, like, my joy. I, I love my job. If you don't know, I have, was a teacher until I had kids, and then I stayed home with the kids. And as they started going out, I started getting back into the classroom. And this year is my first year back teaching full-time at, at the high school here, and I love my job. I have the best students ever. I have fabulous coworkers. I had missed being around people who don't think that Jesus is the Christ, but they think Jesus is a naughty word that's okay to use. You know, I had, I had missed that. And, um, and I feel like I've been given great favor at work. I feel uh, one of my coworkers just said something the other day. She said to me, um, yes, Heather, it's because they all just think that you're this nice, great princess that can do no wrong. <laughs> Which kind of got the wool pulled over their eyes. We'll keep that. <laughs> but apparently I'm flying under the radar well enough. I don't think I'm doing that, but... I also get in great, in great trouble because they'll be grumbling at something at, at the lunch table, and they're like, okay, Heather, go ahead. What's the, what's the positive spin on this one? Because apparently I must, whatever they say, I must be like, yeah, but, you know, even though that child's home burned down and everything seems to be going wrong, there's a plan, or, you know, like I must slide that in. I don't realize that I do these things, but somehow it must be making some kind of an impact because it's catching their attention. And the hope is like, so when will they come and say, Heather, you do look different? And we, we've started to have some of those conversations, and they're a real joy. Anyway, so back to Joseph. It was looking good. He is working for Potiphar. And then we get to verse 11. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, 
and none of the household servants was inside. She, that's Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants. Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her excuse me until his master came home, and then she told him the story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, "This is how your slave treated me." He burned with anger. So Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were kept. So, what was Joseph's sin? Wrong place, wrong time. If that can even be held against him. He did nothing wrong. He did everything right. He ran. He fled. He did whatever he could do. And his uh, great bonus for that is he gets thrown in jail. I don't know if any of you hate injustices as much as the Vincents do, but that would just, like, irks me so much. Have you ever been there where you get in trouble because it was somebody else? Or they say and they twist and they have their perspective on what happened, which is not the true authentic picture, and so now you are reaping a consequence that you should not have. And that's where Joseph's at. So, so like, okay, so Lord, you put me in Potiphar's house because this was your plan. Obviously, this is good. I'm in charge. He's a big wig. Everything's going to be okay. Next thing you know, you're in jail because you didn't sleep with the woman and she got mad. Right? I mean, this is where, where we're at. And the, the thing that it makes me think of, and Chris isn't in here to verify for me, but I hear stories all the time from him about when he was young and he and his little sister would be playing in the living room or whatever. His sister would rip the Barbie doll's head off and then she would scream. You know, so mom and dad come running in, and there's little Christopher sitting in the cute little Princess Angela, and the doll's head is ripped. What did you do, Chris? I mean, have any of us? I didn't have siblings close in my age, so I missed those scenarios, but we probably all had that kind of thing. It takes two, even though it doesn't always, when one of you is sitting still and not touching the other one, apparently you're breathing in the room. That's good enough. It takes two, so everybody gets in trouble, and that's what happened here. But then something changed again. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. There's that phrase again. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Do you ever feel like your life is like a roller coaster like that? Like, everything's great, I'm the favorite, now they want to kill me, now I'm, you know, working for the big guy, and then I get thrown in jail, and now I'm finding favor again, and you're just like, it's that spinning, like, right, out of control, and you have no idea where you're going or how you got here or what any of this is about. But the beautiful thing is we hear it again, twice, the Lord was with him. Right in the middle of that, he's right there with you. 
thank goodness, or we'd really be in trouble, right? If you don't know the end of the story, I don't want to give, well, we'll give some of it away. But uh, while he's in jail, it kind of happens again. So he, uh, the, the people in the jail realize that he can tell, uh, interpret dreams. And two of the people in jail have a dream one night, and they ask Joseph to interpret it. And one of them gets a good report. You're going to go back and have your job back working for Pharaoh. The other one gets a not-so-good report, something about dying the next day. And um, both happen. And Joseph had said to the, the butler who is going to be restored, when you are back and you're standing next to Pharaoh, could you put in a good word for me? Like, you know my story. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve to be here. I've done everything I can do for good. Could you put in a good word? And of course, the butler's like, yeah, anytime. And the butler goes back to his job, and a day goes by, and a week goes by, a month go by, nobody's coming for Joe. Two years go by, and it isn't remembered until Pharaoh has a dream, and he's asked everyone around to explain it, and nobody can. And then suddenly the butler goes, oh yeah, wait, there was this guy. Two years of staying in that jail that he never should have been in to begin with. After seeing this guy restored, two more years he waits down there and wanders. What is Jesus doing with that poor boy? What kinds of character things is he working on him, in him? Is he teaching him how to lead? Is he teaching him how to discern better so he doesn't go around telling people that they're going to bow to him? Doesn't go through this mountain one more time? I don't know what his purpose was, but he had one. Because Pharaoh finds out about it. He comes up, and Pharaoh says, not only can you interpret the dream, but I am now going to put you in charge of not Pharaoh's house, not the jail, the whole country. And I, I won't give you the little bit. You can have to read it on your own. But in the end, his dream was true. His dad and his brothers came and bowed down before him. But what a trail to get there. Like crazy, right? But what an amazing ending to a story. And I think we all have those. I, I knew when I was 11 that I was going to be a pastor's wife. It wasn't like I sought out and had on a dating resume, you have to be a pastor because I know I'm supposed to be a pastor's wife. I mean, you've heard the story from Chris. He was nowhere near pastor material when we started dating. That was not a thing. But somehow I knew in my heart, I didn't know the how or the why, I just knew that was where I was going to be. I knew at some point in my life that I was going to be a teacher in our district. There were seasons where that looked quite impossible and seasons where I lots of tears over the obstacles in the way. But I am here at this moment. Now am I here forever? Who knows? But I'm here at this moment. There are other things that I know are in my future. I can foresee my grandma years partly because I so adore my parents and the relationship that they have with their grandchildren that I long for the days when I can pour into another generation like that. So like, I know that there's going to be a ministry called being a grandma in my life someday. Not for a really long time. We got a lot of this to do before we get there. But, but I know that that's there. God, has, God puts things in our hearts as little seeds, as little dreams, as little desires and expectations and his scripture over and over and over says 
trust in me and I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. And he would never put something in your heart and then give you garbage instead. He is like a good God. So whatever he's put in your heart, he's going to get you there. You might have to do this and you might have to do this on the way, but you're going to end up there. He's going to do that for you. And so I want you to remember a couple things. First of all, I want you to remember that God is always there. In Isaiah 41.10, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Some of you need to write that one on your mirror in your bathroom so you see it every morning. Your role might change. Your circumstances might change. But your Heavenly Father does not change. The weather changes. The seasons eventually change. But your Heavenly Father does not change. Your name might change. The stock market might change. The trends on what is cool will change. But God doesn't change. And the promises and the faithfulness that he demonstrated in the days of old, he's doing it again. And he's going to keep doing it. James 1.17 says, Whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God above who created all heaven's lights. Unlike them, he never changes or casts shifting shadows. I mean, think about the stars. How long have we looked up at the stars and seen the Big Dipper and the Northern Star and there's the constellations that people have guided themselves by for centuries? And he is now comparing his unchanging as being way more significant than that. Like, those stars change as far as he's concerned, but he won't. He's going to be the same. So as you're embarking and as you leave here today, a couple things I'm going to ask of you. One, I want you to pause and reflect. Now, if your life is like mine, pausing and reflecting may only happen when you're using the restroom or you're in the shower or in the 30 seconds between when your head hits the pillow and when you don't have any real thoughts anymore. But find some 60 seconds to pause and reflect and think about all the ups and downs, all the crazies, the jail, the desertion, the abandonment, the hurt, the anything, and see if you can see that God was right there with you. And then cling to that, because you're going to need that going forward someday. I hate to tell you, but we know there are more bumps in the road in the future. So we need to cling to that so that when we go forward, we know he's still with us. And then I want you to also be still enough and hear his voice tell you, you are planned, you are intended, I have a purpose for you, I love you, you are cherished, you are valuable, you are mine, child, you are mine. And then keep your eyes on him. As all the crazies go around, keep your eyes on him. And be listening because I'm quite suspicious that he's going to point out somebody to you this week that needs to hear those same messages that you need to be able to encourage. God is still with you. He loves you. You are his child. Don't forget it. That's my heart for you. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.